0: Recently I was doing a little work in my basement and I came across a Bible that was given to me in 1972 by a former girlfriend. The Bible was titled, The Way. And in the introductory pages this Bible asks such questions as, is there a way to life? Is there a way to joy, peace, wholeness, health, direction, purpose? Then it quotes some Bible verses like this one, as for God, his way is perfect. And then, of course, the one that, uh, that we're using all the time now, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Early Christians picked up on those words of Jesus where he described himself as the way And they often referred to themselves as followers of the way. That's Jesus. He's the way. In our confession today, Isaiah described another way. The way that we go on our own. The way that leads to hell. Some of you uh, may be familiar with uh, Frank Sinatra's signature song. And uh, now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case It's a beautiful song. Beautiful voice. Terrible philosophy. It's the kind that Isaiah warned against. It's the kind that Jesus warned against when He says that that the way to destruction is broad and easy that leads to destruction. Jesus tells us there's a better way Him. He is the way. As I mentioned last week, that is not meant to exclude anyone, but it's an invitation to include everyone. That Jesus is not simply a way, one of many, but He is the way to heaven. Anybody recognize that bridge. That's the the blue water bridge, it goes over the St. Clair River at Port Huron from the United States to Canada. A couple months ago, my wife and I were on that bridge. We didn't want to be. We had uh, gone to Port Huron, we had applied for something called uh, Global Entry Pass, and and you need to have an in-person interview for that, and so we were supposed to go to uh, I think it was Customs and Immigration or Border Patrol or something and uh, like so much of our government it was very well hidden and we couldn't find it and so uh, kind of in desperation well, I'm just going to go up this way and I ended up on the, uh, the toll plaza going up towards the, towards the bridge. And actually that arrow shows right where we were and, and I, was, I was just heading that way and I saw a truck pull off to the left and a gate opened up automatically I thought this is good. So I just pulled in there and the gate slammed in our face. And I looked up and there was a Border Patrol agent in a, in a building there and he didn't look very happy at all. <laughs> but I wasn't going to go anywhere. Uh, so he motioned for me to get out of the car and then he motioned for me to, to walk up to him and he was not happy. And he was not friendly, but he was helpful. And he told me what I needed to do to get turned around from going the wrong way on the bridge to get back to the good old USA. Didn't argue with him. I didn't say, oh, there's got to be another way. I simply said, thank you, sir, and got in my car And took a little bit but then uh, we got turned around uh, the way that we needed to be to go the right way Jesus tells us he is the only way and we can be so grateful that he describes for us and explains to us what that means that through trusting in him that's all we need is faith and trust in him and we have access to his Father, I'm going to recommend that, that you get this book. You might want to snap a quick picture of it right now while it's up there on the screen, or better yet, go to Amazon.com. I think if you order it in the next 15 minutes, it'll be waiting for you when you get home. <laughs> okay, even Amazon isn't quite that quick, but I did check this morning; it's on sale for less than $15, and. Uh, I think you'll like it. I think that you will appreciate it so seriously. It might be one that you want to check out anyway. And what this was, was so fascinating for me, you see the subtitle, The Resilient Faith is the name of the book. The subtitle is How the Early Christian Third Way Changed the World. I'm going to talk about that now using that book as a, as a resource. In that book, the, the author quotes... Uh, quite a bit from something called, and this is really its name, the so-called letter to Diognetus. This—that's uh, not actually the letter up there. It's just kind of a representation of what it might look like. It was written in the second century, maybe a hundred years or so after Jesus. We don't know who the author was, but the intended recipient apparently was a, a Roman official, uh, a member of the Roman elite class during the uh, the peak of Roman rule. And in this so-called letter of Diognetus, the author describes three ways. Three distinct and different ways. Those are also in your sermon outline and we have them here on the on the screen for you as well. The the Roman way meant the uh, complete blending of religion into their everyday life. They did it for one reason only, and that was in order to gain material wealth and comfort. Their religion was based on ritual observances, not really on any kind of doctrinal belief, certainly not on any ethical or moral behavior. That was the first way. The second way was, was the Jewish way, pretty much the complete opposite of that, of the Romans. It was, was nothing if not ethical and moral of supreme importance in the life of the, of the Jews. The requirements of the, the Jewish faith required them to stand out from others in some very obvious ways. They, they shopped in their own stores. They, they wouldn't go where the Gentiles were. They wore very distinctive clothing, And they would only marry somebody who was of their Jewish faith. And so there was no way that the Jews became in any way assimilated into the Roman culture. And then there was Christianity. That was the third way. In one respect, Christians appeared to live like everyone else. They spoke the local language. They wore local styles of clothing. They shopped in local stores. At a surface level, Christians appeared to blend in with Roman society and Roman culture quite seamlessly. That's what made them so dangerous to the Romans. Because the Christians actually were different. Very different. At the heart of their difference was Jesus, the one whom they called king and to whom they swore their primary allegiance as they tried to live out the instruction of Jesus that his disciples are to be in the world but not of the world. Or Jesus' words to Pontius Pilate when when Jesus was on trial that, that his kingdom, Christ's kingdom, is not of this world. Here's a quote from the book that I know you're all gonna order, Resilient Christianity, direct quote. They did not, speaking of the Christians, they did not seek political power. They did not work to change the laws of the land. They did not refuse to pay taxes. What did they do? I'm pausing so you listen. They just lived their lives? the way Jesus lived his. They just lived their lives the way Jesus lived his. And the author goes on, sometimes that cost them their lives as Rome became increasingly fearful of Christianity's growing influence. And Rome watched Christianity explode. At Pentecost, around that time, 5,000 followers of the way. About 250 years later, five million followers of the way. So why have we not, and I hadn't, why have we not heard about this third way before? Well, the author of the book makes a convincing argument that the reason is that someone named Constantine became emperor in 312 AD. What do we know about Constantine? Constantine. He was the Roman emperor who made Christianity legal. And as a result, that ushered in a whole new era so that over time, Christianity became not a persecuted religion, but the main religion, the dominant religion, the only way in the West. So there wasn't any need anymore for a third way because Christianity was the only way. Now, in a lot of ways, that was great for Western civilization because Christianity is a very ethical and moral and mercy-filled religion. As a result, Christians are responsible for the the way that universities and hospitals and music and art and and architecture, all of those things, that they flourished for centuries. On the other hand, this might not have been such a great thing for Christianity itself, as it became easier and easier to be a Christian. Well, that might sound like a good thing, and in some ways it is, of course. But when something is too easy, what happens? It's often not as appreciated as much. It's not contemplated as much. Maybe we get a little lazy in our faith, begin to lose focus. That certainly happened over the centuries, and, and I'm going to guess that's happened for each one of us from time to time as well. So here's how this this book has relevance for us now. It's not just, I think it's fascinating, you might agree or maybe not, but uh, it's not just a kind of an interesting historical perspective, but it has great application for us today because we know, don't we, that things have changed so much in our nation. Christianity no longer enjoys the status that we once had just a, a couple decades ago. So being a third way, once again is a very real possibility for us. In fact, the author of Resilient Faith contends that the best hours of Western Christianity might be ahead of us, not behind us. Assuming we dare to think differently about what it means to be Christian and to live as Christians in a culture that is changing. So now we bring this up to the 21st century. The first way in the 21st century could be to accommodate to culture. Christians could have done that in the first century, the author says, in order to win a recognition and, and most likely approval. But that would have undermined the uniqueness of the belief system in the way of life. This would have fit well with the first way, with the Roman way. And isn't it tempting for us to do that? So very tempting to to just fly under the radar and, and maybe to accommodate ourselves to this culture. Secondly, he says Christians could have isolated themselves from the culture to hide and survive, which would have kept them in the margins safe, but also irrelevant. This would have matched the second way, the Jewish way. Instead, Christians engaged the culture without excessive compromise. You see that? Engaged the culture without excessive compromise. Remained separate from the culture without excessive isolation. Christians figured out how to be faithful and winsome. Faithful and winsome while they were being faithful they followed a third way. They immersed themselves in the culture and over time transformed it from within, though never aiming to directly. In other words, their goal was not to transform the culture, but that was the result of what happened as they transformed individual lives from unbelief to faith. Maybe, maybe we could adopt that kind of approach. Maybe our goal could be the same as that. To, to immerse ourselves in our culture. I think we've done that. Sometimes in a detrimental way, but oftentimes in a helpful way. But then, also to engage the culture. And now we're talking about not only speaking the truth, but also being the truth. For others or to use uh, the word for today to not only know the way but also to show the way and how do we do that Something called, this is in your sermon outline as well, something called the way of faithful presence. Now I know it's going to sound like I didn't do much work on this sermon because I've been quoting from a book and now I'm going to quote from a, a, a speaker that I, I mentioned last week at a pastor's conference there. But, but I just think this speaks to us in such a marvelous way. And so he coined this term, the way of, of faithful presence. Doesn't that sound like Jesus the way of faithful presence as, as He came to be present among us and, and to live among us and, and to die for us and then to rise again. And look at those bullet points under that and, and see how Jesus did each one of those things as well. He, he identified with us, He blessed us and certainly gave Himself in sacrificial love. Now you see them, of course, in the, in the quotation marks that the way of faithful presence is to identify with them I used that last week, too. Talking about them. In other words, people who aren't like we are. People who are different from us. And in this case, I'm talking about those who don't believe in Jesus. How can we engage in that culture? Being faithful, but also winsome. One way is to identify with them, not Ignore them. The easiest and most natural thing for us to do is to identify with those who look like we do, who talk like we do, and and think like we do, and act like we do. Thank God that Jesus was willing to identify with us and to call us his sisters and his brothers to, to leave behind the glory of heaven to come here to this earth. And to bless people here. Jesus did that in so many ways, especially with the miracles that he worked or by associating with sinful people. He got in trouble for that all the time. And maybe that's a way that we bless others. To bless them, not think that we're better than them. To not bless them in some kind of condescending way. Oh, I'm gonna give you my blessing, not that. But to accept them to encourage them to help them and above all to treat them with dignity remembering always that them is in quote, in quotation marks because so often that's the way we act we they but let's drop that it's all of us together as human beings on this earth i was reminded of that fact with that picture. This, I uh, made the rounds probably a couple weeks ago, two probably unlikely friends, Ellen DeGeneres and, and George Bush, and uh, I, I didn't watch that game. I'm certainly not a Packers fan, and I'm not a Cowboys fan either, so I wasn't watching that game. I didn't, didn't see that shot, but a lot of people did, and, and Ellen took a lot of criticism for that from activists. How could she share uh, a suite, and, and act like she enjoyed it with George Bush. That's pretty much all that, that I heard was activists who were unhappy with Ellen. But I, I wonder how many of those of us who are, are quite conservative maybe were a little unhappy with President Bush. Why would he be sharing a suite with, with Ellen? An, an outspokenly gay liberal woman? How could he be friends with her? Well, I hope that as we go along with this, you along with me can applaud President Bush, who I believe is a very faithful Christian, who by doing that was showing the way of faithful presence at that game. How can we do that as well? And then, of course, the the third one there, to give ourselves in sacrificial love to them. In other words, we seek to help anyone who needs help. No strings attached. No little quiz to see what they believe. or what If they need help and we are able to help, we want to give ourselves in sacrificial love to them. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm, I'm not saying any of these things are easy. But if we want to be the truth not just speak the truth if we want to show the way not just know the way then we will do those things we will show them jesus who is the way amen oh by the way in case you were wondering uh, about that former girlfriend who gave me the bible She was a great girlfriend, best ever, even better wife. (laughs) This December marks 47 years for us to be together. And I thank God for that.